Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. For everything I cover on this show, on my morning show, things I do with Eat, Drink, Smoke, things I talk about uh, around the country, whether I'm speaking or I'm I'm doing TV, I, I, I must admit, there are some things I stay very much away from. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number. I think it started with Jared Fogle and the Subway uh, case. Jared Fogle, remember, was the, the face of Subway. He lost all the weight, and he was an Indiana guy. And, oh, what a great story. And what a marketing sensation. Uh, you got to admit, Jared made... Subway in in that regard. There are moments, and you know it as well as I do, in marketing, the right thing at the right time, game over. Do you know how long Flo from Progressive has been doing those ads? Enough to have quite a few houses at this stage of the game. She's making millions. Maybe she wanted to be uh, an A-list actress and have five Oscars. But the money's got to feel good. When you fall into one of these opportunities, you take the opportunity. You you, you don't get crazy. And marketing matters, and sometimes an ad hits, and the Jared ads hit. And then you learned that Jared was a a, a pedophile. Jared was was playing in the world of of child porn. Jared had a friend who he was sharing this stuff with. And then there was the trial. And, And I was doing radio at the time, of course, here in Indianapolis, where I'm based out of. And I turned to my my program director, uh, David Wood, and my my executive producer, longtime exec, Matt Hiblin, and I said, yeah, I can't do this story. I didn't know I couldn't do the story because in my career, I had not been confronted with those things because I had always done my own thing in a, in a in a more political way. And so therefore, there were things that never came into my wheelhouse. I never had to, to think about it. I couldn't do a story on a daily basis about a guy who was engaged in child porn. I, 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 don't, I don't have the capacity. I admit my shortcomings, guys. Uh, when, when I watch news uh, anchors, you know, um, you know, well, you, you, got, you got news people, right? On my, on my home station, WIBC, you have news uh, uh, anchors, uh, d- people doing news on WGCL. You, you've got the, the local news I don't know how they do it and don't walk away every night just feeling sick. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how the news guys do that stuff and tell those absolutely horrid stories. I know that I can't. I share a lot of messed up stuff. There are some things I can't do. So I did not do much reporting on Keegan Klein. I did not do much reporting on the guy who was uh, running a a, uh, a Facebook uh, page and was involved in child porn. And then there's a question of whether or not he was associated with the murders of Abby Williams and Libby German. We're talking about the Delphi murders. 2017, still not solved or are we about to solve it? Oh my gosh, and this guy was running this fake social media account and and everything else. Well, he just got sentenced to 40 years 
in prison. Now, I've read some places where it's 43 years. So forgive me if, if, if I'm off in the reporting that, that I have. 40 years. Uh, the prosecutor wanted 50 years. Uh, Keegan Klein's attorney uh, wanted 11 years. A pre-sentence investigation report had said 35 years. Got 40. Now, if you ask me, I will tell you as clear as day, not enough. There, there isn't enough uh, time in, in prison. There isn't enough jail time for somebody involved in child porn, in abusing children. There's nowhere near enough. 40 years, 40,000 years, and we do everything possible to keep you alive so you suffer for all of them. Hyperbaric chambers, iron lungs. Wait, was that the same thing? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Stem cells, you name it. The suffering could never be enough. And this, this is why I'm not in charge of the criminal justice system. And also, um, this is why I know I, I don't cover these stories. I know this about myself. I know that there's a reason I'm not a news guy. I do commentary I in sh- and I share in, in things that are about uh, philosophy. How, how do we get to where we are? How do we believe what it is we believe? What creates a value for a society? No value comes from people who abuse children. Is it enough? Is it too much? I'll let others in the legal profession decide to engage that. I still don't have an answer yet on who killed Abby Williams and Libby German. Perhaps we're finally going to get that as some of these other things, uh, trials come to be. But in this investigation to have found this child abuser, this, uh, this horrific human being, um, let's not think that all law enforcement has failed us. I'm glad this guy's off the streets. I don't care if this guy sees the light of day again. Is he an American citizen? Yes. Does he still afforded rights? Yes. Is he innocent until proven guilty? Yes, he's guilty. So this may be the only time you hear me talk about Keegan Klein. This might be the only time you hear me talk about a case like this, and I pray it's the only time I ever have to. But I admit to you that there are some things, man, I just I just don't have it. I'm not the guy to cover it. I, I understand where I fall short. I hope you can forgive me. I'm Tony Katz. CNN has decided to step in to the level of super nutty as opposed to just the regular nutty. Their tweet about the temperature, which now people are discussing as climate, is just too ridiculous for words. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything at TonyKatz.com. And it, it reminded me, you know, I had this conversation yesterday with Mike Ryan of the National Weather Service, and it bears repeating that what we're experiencing across the country, yeah, it's hot. I'm not saying it's not hot. I'm not saying you shouldn't be careful. It's weather. It's not climate. 
And these things happen and they're not even special. What does CNN run? CNN puts out a tweet. Heat waves in three continents have driven the planet's average temperature in July to levels not seen in 120,000 years, scientists say. 120,000 years? It hasn't been this hot? So it, it led me to ask the only question that could be asked at that moment, um, how did it get so hot 120,000 years ago? This question is the question that ends the concept of man-made anthropogenic global warming. The psychopaths who believe that we are guilty, we, our existence, is the enemy. We're talking about psychopaths like the UN uh, Secretary General, Antonio Guterres. And for scientists, it is unequivocal. Humans are to blame. All this is entirely consistent with predictions and repeated warnings. The only surprise is the speed of the change. Climate change is here, it is terrifying, and it is just the beginning. The era of global warming has ended, the era, the era of global boiling has arrived. You should be afraid, you should be scared, you cannot question the science. The era of global warming has ended, the era of global boiling is here. And then, he decided to scare you. The air is unbreathable, the heat is unbearable, and the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. Leaders must lead. I don't know who the hell let this commie pinko run anything, but if you listen to this guy, you're insane. If you let your kids listen to this guy, you hate your children. If we are to believe CNN that it hasn't been this hot in 120,000 years, how did it get that hot 120,000 years ago? A lot of people running their Escalades, just idling them. Too many air conditioners 120,000 years ago. Or is it possible that weather ebbs and flows? And is it equally as possible that what we're dealing with isn't even climate, just weather? Because of course it is. By the way, this tweet, they put it out with a graphic, CNN. This month is the planet's hottest in around 120,000 years. And it's a picture of three women disheveled. One of them's wearing a mask. They're wearing sweaters and jackets. It's too hot to be believed. They're wearing sweaters and jackets. CNN, the, the, the left can't meme. CNN can't meme. They don't care that they're throwing nonsense out at you. They're throwing out an imagery that doesn't match the reality. They're not interested in reality. Reality was my conversation yesterday with Mike Ryan of the National Weather Service where we broke down the reality that, look, it's hot out, but none of this is, well, strange. Basically, we've had the high heat down in the southwest, and you know Phoenix has been above 110 for so many days. It's been hot in Texas, and there's been a dome of, of high pressure in the upper levels of the atmosphere. And the reason we haven't seen any of that heat really at all here in the eastern Midwest is that we've been sitting on the edge of that heat dome. And so we've been getting the disturbances that ride around it. We've been getting the periodic thunderstorms. We had the good thunderstorms a couple of days ago. And what's happening here over the next couple of days is for the first time this summer, that heat dome is going to 
shift east just a little bit and get us into the hotter temperatures, and that's why we're expecting uh, these very hot, humid conditions really through Saturday or so, and then we'll start to fall back to, to what we've been experiencing throughout the summer. So it, it's, it's not lost on me, you know, a guy who grew up in New Jersey. 90-degree days uh, happen. When I say 90, I'm talking about in the 90s. I'm a guy who went to Arizona State University. Temperatures over 100 degrees happened often during the the summer and into September. This wasn't odd or new. Is there something here that is new that as Americans or in certain areas we should be paying extra special attention to? Not not necessarily, Tony. I mean, this is pretty typical for us to to get these few days where we can get up into the mid-90s, maybe even upper 90s every summer. You know, many of your listeners will probably remember 11 years ago we had that hot summer in 2012 and we jumped over 90 degrees here in Indianapolis 51 times. Now that's more abnormal, but it's pretty common for us to see 90 degrees or, or warmer 20 days throughout the summer. So far this year, we've only done it six times, and it's because it's been a cooler summer. June was cooler and drier, and because of, of the, the storms moving through the areas more frequently here the last few weeks, we've been cooler as well. And so there really isn't anything new here. It's a typical summer pattern, but because we haven't had this level of heat yet this year, that's one reason we've put out the heat advisories, because we're anticipating heat indices to peak today, tomorrow, Saturday. 105, maybe a little bit higher, and folks just aren't used to that this year because we haven't, we haven't been that warm. Talking to Mike Ryan of the National Weather Service, and that sometimes this is uh, about being comparative, and it has been, for the most part, a rather uh, lovely summer. That's true of the Midwest. Is that true of the entire country? Have, are, are the heat levels that we're seeing just really exacerbated in the Midwest? Or are there issues? You mentioned the Southwest. Are there other parts of the country where it is, by a market difference, hotter than it usually is? I don't know if necessarily by a market difference, but you know, typically you see some of the hottest weather in the summer occurring in the Southwest U.S., that's where they're typically not seeing a lot of rainfall. They sit underneath that heat dome we talked about, and it gets up above 100, 105 in Las Vegas and Phoenix and other locations out there. Now, that being said, they have been above 110 a little bit more frequently than normal this year. And that may be just due to the effect that that heat dome has remained so stagnant in that area. Another interesting place is down in Florida. Now, as you guys know, in Florida, it's very warm, very humid uh, in the summertime down there. But they've been issuing heat advisories because the temperatures are a little bit warmer with the same level of humidity down there in, say, Miami, Key West, other, other areas in Florida. And so it's been hotter than normal in those areas. And the water temperatures have been a little warmer down there as well. So, again, it's not, it's not way out of whack or anything like that, but... Uh, there are some areas where where the temperatures are running hotter across the country than they usually do. So now what what comes from this? We are in two days of this, three days of this, four days of this. What is it that's going to bring some level of relief? Because when I take a look a a week out, whether I'm talking about where I live, central Indiana, or I'm looking at uh, some of the Midwest, by next Thursday, right, uh, basically uh, a week from now, we go back into this kind of cycle, at least for a day. How are we getting out of this? What's changing out there? And then what's go- is it expected to come back for any level of strength or, or period of time? 
Well, right now, Tony, focused on these next three days, today, tomorrow in particular, and then Saturday are going to be the three hottest days. I think we could see temperatures up into the mid-90s tomorrow. Uh, some areas, especially west of Indianapolis, may be warmer out in the Wabash Valley. And Saturday will be warm as well. But then after that, that heat dome is going to retreat back to the west a little bit, and we'll get back into the periphery of the ridge, if you will, which will allow for more complexes of thunderstorms like we've been seeing to move down into the area. The other thing that will do is it'll keep temperatures lower and more typical of what we would expect in late July and early August. So I'm talking mid, upper 80s, maybe around 90. Now, as you mentioned, it does appear that we may see that return, that warmer uh, air return, but it's going to be brief. Uh, And that's that's the main thing that we've seen so far this summer. When we've had these warmer temperatures, they don't linger here. It's been focused more. You get west of the Mississippi River, out into the plains, and then down into Texas and the southwest where the really hot temperatures have been. So really these high, these high heat indices, 105 and greater, are going to be focused during the, the mid and late afternoons over the next couple of days, and then we'll see that drop back. Now... As, as you know, there are people who will uh, apply whatever political desire they have to this. I don't ask a guy from the National Weather Service to engage political uh, uh, opinion. I, I think that's a rude thing to do. But rather, I, I ask for a data-driven conversation. Mm-hmm. As far as temperatures go, this the hottest stuff on record? Or is this pre- – you've already mentioned that it's been a cooler summer. Is this pretty standard if we take a look at the last – 30 years. We've seen this before. Yes, we have seen it before. And, you know, as I mentioned, you know, you go back to 2012, and that was uh, an absurdly hot summer here in central Indiana. It was actually the hottest summer that we've had uh, in many, many years, and we haven't had anything close to that since then. Uh, there are a lot of different things that, that are driving places that are warmer versus places that are cooler, you know, how, how the winds are flowing in the upper levels of the atmosphere. And as I mentioned earlier, the reason we've actually been a little cooler than normal here in central Indiana is because we have not had that ridge of high pressure that always shows up in the summertime to our southwest and usually spends a little bit of time out here in the Ohio Valley and the eastern Midwest. It just hasn't to any degree of, uh, of you know, intensity for extended periods of time, and that's the reason we've been cooler. So ultimately, yeah, I think it's been a fairly typical summer in that regard. Maybe the thing that was was oddest was, you know, all the hazy days we had from the Canadian wildfires earlier this summer, which led to a lot of dry air in June. And that's why it was so dry. And and thankfully, now we're starting to get, you know, the last four weeks or so we've been wetter. So yards are responding. The corn crop is responding. And uh, and and it's been a little bit more typical, at least from a precipitation standpoint. Uh Corn matters, baby. Let, let, us, <laughs> let us not just gloss over the fact that the corn crop is is coming back. Corn matters. Uh, Mike Ryan, National Weather Service, I do appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us, kind of break down what's been happening. Thank you so very much. You better believe corn matters. Corn is everything. And a good corn crop makes me happy. It should make you happy, too. Corn. We, we need corn crop. Because corn crop means more bourbon. See how I did that? You see how I put that together? That, kids, is how you wrap up a story. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today.
this, Maria, 2.4%. Wow. This is the first read, the advanced read for second quarter GDP. Estimate was only for 1.8%. Talk about a strong economy. Uh, there goes that recession talk, right? Uh, and what's interesting here is the expectation was we were going to have a weaker Q2, this first read, than we had in Q1. Remember, we had a 2% read in Q1 for this year. We are thinking we were going to have a slowdown. It's the opposite, 2.4%. And, you know, even the range, um, this is in the high end of the range uh, that economists were looking for. So that's pretty darn interesting. Uh, really, uh, Q4 was 2.6%. So economy is still strong. Real interesting here. You got a lot of people talking very well about this economy all of a sudden. Oh, the progressives are like, this is a godsend for Bidenomics. Just perfect for Biden going into the election season. We're a little early from that being the case, but we should ask ourselves, has this economy turned around and we don't know it? Have all of the indicators been wrong and all of the other markers been correct? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything I'm doing over at TonyKatz.com. Be a part of it. Be a supporter. It's free or you can support. It would be greatly appreciated. Dr. Matt Will joins us, economy economist at the University of Indianapolis. And I want to get to these numbers. I'm looking at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, trying to figure out some of this latest information, specifically on uh, this uh, PCE, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index. But before we get there, we learn that Sam Bankman-Fried, this fraudster, this guy, FTX, right, this crypto exchange, lied, stole people's money, put it into very speculative investments with his own company, a second company, lost it all, stole the money, then finds himself in the Bahamas because of extradition issues, and now he's not going to get charged with any campaign finance issues? First, it was the prosecutors uh, saying that they couldn't go after him uh, for violating anti-bribery statutes. And now they're saying because it's the Bahamas and they couldn't get the ability to extradite that they're not going to charge him with unlawful campaign contributions. Your take, Dr. Will, is that this is a bunch of nonsense from the Bahamas. Yes, Tony, people need to understand there's a financial relationship between the United States and the Bahamas. If you go to the Bahamas, you clear passport control in the Bahamas. We told them we want to have immigration there. So that's one of the few places in the world that can happen. If you go from Bahamar to Paradise Island, it is loaded with law firms to set up shell corporations for U.S. companies such as Enron, which has set up their division called Mahonia for hiding things from the U.S. government. There is a cooperative arrangement between the U.S. government and the Bahamas because their economy is almost 100% dependent on us. So, Tony, when we said extradite him, they threw him overboard quickly and gave him to us. And now, all of a sudden, they're twisting our arm after the fact and say, we intended. We intended for you not to prosecute him on the political things. Tony, that is completely false. The relationship between these two countries would never have that happen. They're hiding political people. I don't know whether it's Republicans or Democrats, but they're hiding that. And you notice the only two charges that are being dropped are the political charges, not the financial charges. I I am fully aware that the charges being uh, dropped in the Sam Bankman-Fried 
a case uh, have to do with uh, a protection of uh, political parties and and of uh, elected officials. Uh, And that is what we should all consider to be disgusting. But there is an economic side uh, to this and what you're talking about regarding the Bahamas, uh, which which now makes one ask, well, what is what business are they actually in? You know, people uh, do things in certain countries because they have certain levels of of protections. That much is is, is true, and, and I don't mind them having different levels of protections. You're making the argument that in this case, it goes well beyond. And, and it's, it's interesting to hear you and an economist getting into this, but there seems to be some level of angle uh, to that, which is, my gosh, look at what we're indicating to Wall Street and others about what they can get away with. Tony, this is this. People need to understand this is the dirty little secret in the financial industry is that the Bahamas, like you said, there are good reasons to go there. Have, they have a better tax situation. So it's OK for you to set up a company there. But I'll give you the Enron example. J.P. Morgan was in New York. Enron's financial offices were in New York. They were almost across the street from each other. They go to the Bahamas. The U.S. government allows them to do this, to set up a company and do business. Tell me why they can't walk across the street for their transaction. Instead, they have to fly to the Bahamas. Because there is a financial loophole that the U.S. government allows, the powerful people in Washington allow the powerful people on Wall Street to get away with this kind of stuff. That's exactly what's happening, and they don't want that exposed. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Now let's get in to this uh, economy. You take a look, and man, they're they're happy on Wall Street. Though those futures were up huge in the early uh, trading. Nasdaq was up over two hundred. Dow was up o- over a hundred. And you 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 see the headline: Key Fed inflation rate falls to <laughs> lowest annual level. In nearly two years. So the question is, what is this um, inflation rate? What is this this figure? What does it mean? And is this because Joe Biden knows how to work the economy? <laughs> okay, first of all, Tony, we're going from super bad to not so bad. I mean, the PCE, this is this inflation indicator you're talking about, it rose 4.1%. Tony, four point, in what world is 4.1% inflation considered good? Well, in a world where it used to be 8% and 9%. So yes, it's better than it was. It still isn't even close to where it should be. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, and this is a big deal from yesterday's GDP report. People look at the headline, Tony, but they don't dig into the, the details. We are still rebounding from the pandemic. I, di- I looked at the Federal Reserve data adjusted for inflation and we are still about half a trillion dollars short of where we should be this time, I'm sorry, $200 billion short of where we should be right now. We still haven't caught up to where we should be pre-pandemic. So of course it's growing at 2%, Tony. It's still catching up. This is not a good thing. We haven't caught up and the catch-up rate is slower now than it was three years ago. But I play you uh, that clip from Fox Business. I can play you clips from CNBC. Everybody says this is terrific, and certainly on a, on a political level, oh, great news uh, for Joe Biden and proves that Bidenomics works. 
it's clear to a lot of people that the numbers don't make any sense, that the economy is confusing. Here's what they know, as we've discussed before. Shops are full and restaurants are full. And here you are saying, well, the sky isn't falling as fast, but dear Lord, watch your heads because it's coming down. These numbers are trend or these numbers are blips? Tony, they are trends, but they're still missing. You, you brought up one point and I want to bring up two of them. That's right. It's hard. It's the, the, the restaurants are full. The restaurants are full, Tony, because we had a record number of closings of businesses during the pandemic, and we still haven't opened them back up. We have a shortage of restaurants. We have a shortage of businesses. It's not because the economy is great. It's because we just haven't recovered yet from the disaster from the pandemic. And as far as the GDP growth, I don't know, Tony, who would you rely on more? Government data that says we have one quarter of growth or private industry, the ISM PMI, we talk about this all the time, the government uses it, that says eight consecutive months now of shrinking business activity. Eight. And if you look at the GDP number yesterday, Tony, the growth is primarily from government spending. Government spending, that whole Keynesian flawed formula, is what caused the GDP to go up. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Over there at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there is a number that I find very, very fascinating. In the fourth quarter of 2022, gross job gains were $8 million and gross job losses were $7.6 million. I found that to be a fascinating uh, number that total job growth over the fourth quarter was was four hundred thousand. Um, now, maybe if I were to take a look month to month and we take a look at jobs, it would it would equal that. And it's less surprising. It's just you take a look at that number: eight million gained, seven point six million lost. Is that the standard? Is I mean, when I say the standard, is that usually how things go? That many jobs disappear. Um, the answer is not that many. But yes, Tony, we, it's very typical for an economy to transition. You know, you used to make buggy whips and then you make cars. So the buggy whip people are laid off and the car people are hired. And, you know, so it's a, there's a transition in the economy, which is normal, but the magnitude of this is larger than normal. And the net, and you, you see, you identified the two parts of it, Tony, and you didn't even take my class. There are two parts and you're looking at the net number. That's the right number to look at. The these numbers as, as they come out, and we talk about trends right now. You you see um, the 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 unemployment rate. You see the GDP higher than than ex- expected. Uh, you see the inflation cooling uh, to three percent, and that allows politically and allows Wall Street to be cheering and 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 going nuts. You argue that none of this even gets us back to where we were before COVID hit. You talk about restaurants not reopening, shops not reopening, so therefore the shops that do exist, restaurants that do exist, have more people in them. Of course, they seem more crowded. The question is, what indicators could we look at to see how that's going to grow, or is this the new normal, and therefore we have to rethink what these numbers mean? Do the numbers now mean different things than they did in a pre-COVID world? Tony, you, you have hit the nail on the head. We have to rethink this. And, I'll, and you know, you, we were talking about this before we started this, this segment. 
there's a confusion in the economy. And I'll give you a confusion. I just mentioned the growth in the economy. Here's another confusion. Two days or earlier this week, Jerome Powell said that inflation-adjusted income for individuals is down. Yesterday's GDP report said inflation-adjusted income for individuals is up. So who do I believe, Tony? Do I believe the Bureau of Economic Analysis or do I believe the Federal Reserve Board? Tony, the, the entire data reporting is just a mess. It's got to be cleaned up. I don't know how to clean it up, but I can tell you it's a mess, and we see contradicting data, data everywhere. Is there anything that you see, you know, often you talk about producer price index, you talk about manufacturing and say they're manufacturing less stuff, they're, they're gearing up, people aren't doing as, as much buying. Is there anything you've seen from uh, that producer price index, from what manufacturers are doing that make you stick to uh, the, the place where, look, things are better, but they're not good if we engage real comparison is anything looming that we should be paying attention to? We should be paying attention to right now. Yes, Tony. Um, but I'm going to tell you, there's a schizophrenic part to this as well. The index numbers that I rely on show that inventories are down, customer inventories are down, manufacturers' inventories are down. We're heading into Christmas season, Tony. Those inventories should be growing, not shrinking. Yet the GDP report yesterday said private inventories are growing. So, Tony. I don't know. Who do I believe? Do I believe the companies that in the surveys or do I believe the government data that's coming out? It, you know, I'm not a conspiracy person. I'm not a fan of those things. But I'm wondering what's going on with the, with the BLS and the BEA reports that are coming out. They're inconsistent with everybody else in the market. Now, the market's growing, Tony, but that's a different topic having to do with innovation and AI and productivity and those kind of things. It's not because of Bidenomics or the government. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I appreciate always you taking the time. There's much more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. They went after two fine employees yesterday, fine people. And uh, I don't think they think that the tapes were even changed. These were my tapes that we gave to them. And they basically then say that's not enough. We didn't, I don't think we would have had to give it. I'm not sure that we would have even had a game if these were security tapes. We handed them over to them. I don't. I doubt we would have if we wanted to fight that. I doubt we would have had a game. But regardless, we gave it. Okay, you handed over the tapes, and then from the tapes they saw this guy, Carlos de Oliveira, moving boxes from point A to point B, and then Jack Smith, the special counsel, says, "Yeah, let's have a superseding indictment." One more charge for the moving of these boxes. And uh, uh, let's uh, let's go after that guy. Some guy who just worked at some guy who just worked at Mar-a-Lago is now gonna get charged. You're now gonna wrap up in this whole thing. Holy cow. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Jack Smith is a jerk. I oh I hate this part of the federal government so much. The, you know, the, the expression goes when you're dealing with the DOJ, you might beat the rap, but you can't beat the ride. What they do to you, how they try and squeeze you, how they cut you off from your dollars, how they try and cut you off from family, the levels of abuse that they pour upon you to try and get you to crack. These are disgusting people, whether a Republican is in charge or a Democrat is in charge, that we allow that in the United States against citizens is disgusting. 
I often talk about the adversarial relationship that police have with citizenry. And I very often equate it to some very basic things locally. Like, for example, when police officers hide to try and see if you're speeding. They hide behind a barrier. They hide behind trees. I find that disgusting. Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? Then you take a look at what municipalities do. And they have police vehicles that don't look like police vehicles. They're barely marked police vehicles. The lights are perfect, purposefully not big so you can't see them. And the objective is to hunt you. The objective is for them to be camouflaged. I'm sorry, that's not policing. Police vehicles should be neon green and pink. They should be seen from 10 miles away. And you should be about protecting and serving, not figuring out how you can write one more ticket. So on the most local level, law enforcement creates an adversarial relationship with the citizen. They're at fault. These mayors are at fault. These city councils are at fault. And they need to change. But you extrapolate this out. A DOJ that could so victimize the citizenry to get what they want? Well, if you did nothing wrong, you have nothing to worry about. Who believes that garbage? It is gross. It's gross. So I'm disgusted by this. I'm disgusted by this maneuver right here. It really is. It really is obscene. Uh, What will come from it, what will come from the uh, extra indictment uh, on President Trump about, you know, having documents, I don't know. Will there be other indictments? Very possibly. Is any of this going to change him dominating in the polls? (laughs) Not right now. Not right now. Find it all, guys. TonyCats.com, and I'll catch you Monday. Take care.